One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As a listener to Truth and Movies, you can now get 50% off when you rent Unrelated, Archipelago, or Exhibition on Curzon Home Cinema until midnight on 30th of September. To redeem, just enter the code LWL50. The films are available under the Joanna Hogg Collection, along with an exclusive Q&A to tie in with the UK release of The Souvenir on 20th of August. In this very special episode of Truth and Movies... We're revisiting three films by British director Joanna Hogg. From her debut Unrelated, to her pin sharp family drama Archipelago, to 2014's Exhibition. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, here we are under special circumstances talking about Joanna Hogg in anticipation of her new release, The Souvenir, later this month. Joining me for this special episode of Truth and Movies, we have Sophie Monks Kaufman. Hello. And Hannah Woodhead. Hello. Welcome both. I think, to begin with, The Souvenir feels like a new watershed moment for Joanna Hogg. She's been around making films for decade and a half now really but maybe it's that a24 distribution in the states maybe who knows the martin scorsese executive producer credit or whatever exactly. it is yeah so but really it's a good opportunity to go back and watch three of the greatest british films in recent memory right? she arrived fully filmed so yeah. and also she really takes her time on each film so they, they are the opposite of dashed off each each one is is absolutely pristine and awkward and so many different things so mm -hmm. i'm glad we're going to get an opportunity to dive deep into them today before we dive deep we should paddle in the shallows and <laughs> how would we describe joanna hogg's vibe what does she do and what does she do best hannah there's a really funny description which i'm desperately probably going to spend the next half an hour trying to remember um it was in a review of archipelago it was a great british Um, critic who said it was just a, a film about uh, middle class people going on an awful holiday together <laughs> and um, basically she made two films about that about um, middle class people having bad holidays and then a film about middle class people selling a house yes. and now middle class people growing up <laughs> um, I'm being unfair she uh, I would say she's like the foremost chronicler of mm -hmm. middle class angst yeah. in Great Britain but um, as someone who did not grow up in anything like the kind of world that Joanna Hogg was born into and very comfortably inhabits, I think. I think she does something more special. I think she is a chronicler of relationships, I think mm -hmm. is how I would describe her. She is a acute observer of human nature and how people relate to each other, and that's what her films are about. They're very specific and very honed in on their subjects, but at the same time, I think at the heart of everyone is a kind of the emotions are the things that anyone can relate to and for me yeah. that's why it feels very 
uh, small-minded to just say that she only makes films for posh people. Yeah, the, the relationships between parents and children, the mm. middle-aged people maybe wanting to somehow recapture or hold on to their youth. These are all things that are somewhat universal, you'd hope, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I think that her great talent is that she's able to take her own sort of very privileged background and she's very unapologetic about who she is and where she's come from and we need more of that you know I think there are so many filmmakers who try and play down their background and their where they've come from and Joanna Hogg doesn't do that at all she's very much like yes here I am this Mm. is me and these are the things I'm interested in she's very forthright and uh, I think it's rare to find a filmmaker as honest and open to sharing her worldview as mm-hmm. Joanne Hogg is. She's very sensitive she's very observant you, you know even from the way she conducts herself in interviews you can tell that as much as she's been through this world and comes from this world she's been an observer of this world not just losing herself in it but very attuned to it and I think something that unites all of her films is that they're mysteries and the mystery is why are these people like this <laughs> <laughs> And it will just gradually unfold because you detect very early on these tensions that are sort of flagged, like it could be an overreaction that doesn't make sense within the context of that scene. But then later on, you'll get another little clue. And it's the opposite of expository cinema. You know, you very much have to keep a very careful eye on these characters for just little tells little things that flesh out who they are, why they're being that way, what it is about their relationship with this other character that is bringing that out. And it's really the mystery of... I think she's exploring the mystery of why people are the way they are. And she never reaches, like, a big conclusion. She just, in the course of an hour 40, an hour 50, two hours in the souvenir, just kind of give you... fill in these characters a little more. Yeah, that's fascinating. We should really dive a bit deeper. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we do, we should say... You know, this is not a traditional episode of Truth and Movies. I'm not here to criticise. This isn't a hog roast. This is no. a celebration and inquiry into the films and work of one of the, the great British filmmakers. Can I just say, we're going to go the whole hog. Oh, you did it. <laughs> Fantastic. And we'll start in 2007 with her debut feature, Unrelated. So, Unrelated. This was Joanna Hogg's first film. After nearly two decades working as a filmmaker elsewhere, directing for television, music videos, adverts, but she shot this herself, going out uh, with a small crew and cast on a, on a cheap digital camera. As Hannah said, this is about a, a family on holiday, an extended family, and Catherine Worth stars as Anna, a woman in an unhappy relationship who takes refuge with a friend's family on holiday in Tuscany. Sophie, where do we start with this one? This is her first film. We see all of the DNA of what we come to expect for Joanna Hogg almost immediately in this film, don't we? So I have very vivid, positive memories of the first time I saw this, which was that there used to be... Duncan Carson, he used to put on these amazing screenings at Birkbeck Cinema, where I saw such classics as Jean Dillman, Touch of Evil. That's where I first saw Marwin Cole. And this is where I first saw Unrelated. And I was, like, slammed to the back of the cinema wall because... It's just so... when You you can reduce all her films to log lines quite easily because not much happens in them, but it's the molecular detail with which what does happen unfolds. So you have this woman in her 40s. She's been invited by her friend V to this extraordinary villa in Tuscany 
And I was saying to Hannah earlier that even in the most awkward moments, she has this really lovely room to retreat to. <laughs> so things are never totally uh, like game over. And she comes there and there are her friends who are the older people. And then there are the, a group of youngs, mm-hmm. uh, which features the, then unknown Tom Hiddleston as the dashing Oakley. And rather than gravitating towards her own age group, Anna gravitates towards the youngs. And there's a kind of simmering sexual tension with her and Oakley. But it's all a bit awkward because you know it's not that there can't be intergenerational friendships it's just the fact that she's kind of slightly turned her back on her friend who's invited her in order to just try and have this really carefree time with the more carefree group and it's also is like the relationship between her and Oakley is is teased out you you know that it's just a little bit excruciating but n- never in a way that reaches this like horrible climax. Like so many other filmmakers would really push these scenes. She never pushes them. She she just lets you watch these people in the setting and see the like different sources of discomfort that are like popping up here and there. So that's what I mean by arriving fully formed. You know, she she's able to really sketch these dynamics in extraordinary detail that leaves you with so much to think about. So much to think about, so much to amuse over, so much to cringe over as well, as you say. That's something that I would say certainly unites her first two films. We'll come to Archipelago later. But Hannah, what do you make of Unrelated? What's it that you respond to? Um, Well, unlike Sophie, I came to this quite late in the game, as in yesterday. (laughs) I'd heard of it before quite a lot. I think um, this was the kind of star maker role for Tom Hiddleston, so as someone who grew up on Marvel movies and first encountered Tom Hiddleston in those, I was really excited to go back and look at this turn that made him uh, put him on the radar for so many people. And yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) a very frustrating watch at times. (laughs) Um, I think the character of Anna is, you know, you kind of watch her and you're just like, God... The kind of self-indulgence <laughs> is staggering, but I think that's a recurring theme in Joanna Hogg's work. I think she's very, um, you know, it's clear that she loves all her characters and, you know, she. I think she goes to a lot of care to treat them with a tenderness, but at the same time, she doesn't kind of let them off the hook, you know? Mm-hmm. I think um, she's not afraid to show them as being difficult and being irresponsible and being kind of unfailingly human which I think Anna certainly is the scene where Anna invites Oakley and maybe just want to jump off a bridge it's it's yeah Mm -hmm. and that's the thing that I love about Unrelated is it's one of the most kind of staggeringly awkward experiences it feels like I mean it basically is but you're watching someone else's midlife crisis (laughs) and it is just like there are so many moments where your head is just like in your hands, like, oh, my God. Like the, the moment when um, Anna kind of admits that about the, the car accident that happens in the film, and you're just there like, oh, oh, no, oh. It is the way that Joanna Hogg uses um, takes. They're always so long, and I think there's a real sort of awkwardness to dialogue in her films and not so much in The Souvenir which I do think feels slightly more polished but certainly in Unrelated everything feels very much we talk a lot about realism Mm -hmm. but I think that is like the hallmark of this film, it really does feel like these are real conversations and not always fascinating I have to say (laughs) Um, but yeah I think we've all been on 
not maybe not on an unpleasant holiday in this in this way, but we've all been in this kind of situation where you're torn between the life that you kind of want to lead and the life that you maybe should lead. And that's kind of for me like what she's getting into here. I mean the title's unrelated, but what I found relatable <laughs> was that whole idea that you can everyone to a smaller or greater extent when you go away you're hoping for an experience that is not your normality, that is not your reality. And I related to the fact that she was like, oh, okay, new location, new me, except she was totally, it's like that Steve Buscemi, how do you do fellow kids? <laughs> me, you know, to- yeah. totally unself-aware about how she's presenting within this dynamic. And again, this is what you were saying about Joanna Hogg loving and having empathy for her characters. Joanna Hogg has a lot of empathy for the pain like she's coming from pain she mm. doesn't want to feel the pain she's regularly on the phone to her husband Alex and that's the reality that she's trying to escape so you have a sense that he, even though she doesn't fit into this group of young people in the way that she would like to this is still preferable to confronting the thing she's desperately trying not to confront and that's what I find relatable the way you just try and go out and lose yourself but then inevitably you can't there's a real limit to how much you can just totally reinvent yourself within the space of a holiday mm-hmm. yeah and I think at the end of the film when it all comes crashing down as it is want to do um like you were saying earlier about you know you kind of realize why the, these people are the way they are and it is heartbreaking I think and this is like my biggest complaint with the idea that these films are just about posh people because I, I just don't think they are you know I think that they're about um the way that your circumstances shape you as a person and the way that particularly in this film even though they are kind of this group that from the outside seem to be very privileged and very dislikable at times I think the things they're going through are they're not the kind of problems that I would ever want to have to go through and watching it I just really got a sense of god I'm really glad I don't have the luxury of the problems that some of these people yeah. have, you know? It's, I'm glad I don't have time to be sad, sad about these things. It says something about maybe the hyper-awareness and sensitivity that British viewers and the British audiences may have when seeing British people on screen. If this was a French movie, which in some ways <laughs> it does share sensibilities with French cinema, we wouldn't be criticising it on a level of class, would we? We would just be seeing it as these experiences and these relationships. We'd almost see it abstracted from the social realities. Whereas once you throw in accent and all these other qualifiers of, of class, we can't avoid them seemingly as a, as a culture and society, as a critical class. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, because British class is such a... It seems so obvious, I think. There were such clear signifiers of class in British film and, and in Britain generally, which we may not pick up on as much watching French films or German films or, you know, any other films. Even Italian though, films. Italian yeah. films, even though I'm sure that, you know, they have class systems. In this, mm-hmm. Not in the same way, but, you know, they have their own class systems. But for us, like you know, the received pronunciation, the uh, holidays to these bougie places... The names, which I think I think <laughs> Joanna has a real gift for picking these ridiculous names like Verena, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Archie, of course. Archie. You know, I think <laughs> these little signposts that tell us exactly who these people are. That to me is kind of interesting because Joanna Hogg knows from the off that anyone watching this film is going to know who these people are, you know, and where they come from. So she's put herself on the back foot 
but at the same time I don't think it's a case of like trying to prove something you know I think that in some films which try and be a bit uh, very overtly about class there's a sense of like I've got to humanize these people and I've got to like make people understand you know and like I don't think that's what Joanna Hogg ever sets out to do I don't think she's consciously like I'm gonna make a movie about class and like you know about how middle class people have it like tough too man I don't think that's ever ever Mm -hmm. something that comes into play for her I think she's very much about exploring bigger things than that particularly this year because Ken Loach has got a new film out um there's been a lot of kind of talk around like her films compared to the, the, the later Loach films, like I, Daniel Blake, and um, the new one, Sorry We Missed You. I find it really fascinating. One filmmaker who always cites quite um, surprisingly in many ways uh, Joanna Hogg as an influence is Ben Wheatley. He'd always <laughs> talk about Joanna Hogg all the way through his career, and then he makes Happy New Year, Colin Bursted, oh, which... Yeah very much coming from a different class angle. He's very much more of a low-middle-class filmmaker from his background, but he makes people going away for a holiday with an extended family having a nightmare uh, (laughs) special occasion. He makes that movie. I think it's really fascinating he finally came through and made that in the end. In as much as any outsider can say what someone's personal motivation is, she just strikes me as a true artist who is trying to make sense Mm -hmm. of her personal experience from a very sincere place. And that's what artists do, and her background is as an artist Mm -hmm. and she is married to an artist I think she's a true artist she's a true artist filmmaker and it's not defensive she just presents it and Mm -hmm. she wants to communicate of course filmmakers do so she puts these signifiers in but that's very much just part of the broader craft these films are very personal and the souvenir is the very apex and we're not going to talk about that but the souvenir is her most overtly personal because she's also someone who's preoccupied with space and filming in mm-hmm. space. Like, she chooses her locations very carefully. Characters she knows, she chooses the locations she knows, and then she just tries to make the conduct those elements to bring something out, bring mm-hmm. something to mm-hmm. the surface. And that's a great way to set up the next film as well, because so I think there's so much shared between these two films. Mm. There's these slices of life rather than a, an overarching plot, these dynamics. Tom Hiddleston in particular (laughs) as well. So let's move three years into the future to 2010's Archipelago. Archipelago, deep fractures within a family dynamic begin to service during a getaway at the Isles of Scilly, which is, again, one of those locations, Sophie teased this, that uh, Joanna Hogg knew very well. She went there on holiday with her family growing up. It looks like this absolute idyll. Yeah, so this, in her second film, we are... In the Isles of Scilly, where mm-hmm. Joanna Hogg spent time in her own childhood, and specifically we're on the island of Tresco, and we're with another middle class family who've gone on holiday together, and Tom Hiddleston's there, which was a, a trademark of her early films. In this one, he is the kind of, I guess, the central character. Mm. He is a young man called Edward, who's in his early 20s and is about to go to Africa for a um, volunteer mission, I guess. Charity work. Um, charity work. Sexual health. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it's all very like... And it's also, it is presented as just Africa. Yeah. He's off yeah. to the continent of Africa <laughs> exactly. to spread his mission. Yeah. Where in Africa? Doesn't matter. He's just going to mm-hmm. go and save Africa, you know? <laughs> it's that kind of like classic, like, um, you know, white man <laughs> going yeah. to go and help. <laughs> very much having a quarter-life crisis. Yeah, yeah. Mid-twenties gap year sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, so... 
they, we're all, we've uh, all been there. We've, yeah, we've all been there, man. We've all been there. Um, so his mother and his sister organised this little like going away holiday to say goodbye to him. And they all trek off to the Isle of Tresco. And there's kind of this, the, the tensions between mother and son and brother and sister about they don't really want him to go, I guess. Mm-hmm. But they've also banned his girlfriend from coming on the holiday. And there's just so much going on between the different members of the family. The father, the the patriarch, isn't... <laughs> he spent the whole film wondering <laughs> if he's going to turn up. Yeah. And he, he never does. This is kind of like he expressed a mild interest in coming and then doesn't show up. Again, like I, I said this about Unrelated, but it is this kind of like... There's a voyeuristic sense that I get from watching it where you're just watching this family kind of very gradually implode and there's this sense you get from it of, in the grand scheme of things, they may not see this holiday as like a significant moment, you know, where everything changed. But there's this sense of like they come back from this holiday different people to Mm -hmm. when they were, who they were when they came on it. We, we mentioned some of those key relationships were unrelated and how the the key flashpoints happen off screen. Uh, that happens here. There are no arguments, but there's lots of this simmering, <laughs> cringeworthy tension. One one relationship with which is Edward very much tries to be down with, not the kids this time, down with the help. Yeah, so they have yeah. Rose, who's their live-in cook, uh, and he's trying to show that he's not as upper middle class and stuffy as his family. He's he's going to wash <laughs> up his own bowl of cereal. Thank you very much. And there's almost a hint of is he trying to flirt with her maybe or start something with her? But it's just so cringeworthy, isn't it? No yeah. one able to say really what they mean or understand what they're feeling in in these conversations. One of the things I get from all of Joanna Hogg's films is the is how exhausting it must be <laughs> to uh, not have the language to communicate your emotions yeah. <laughs> as someone who's quite good at communicating her emotions i'm i'm always like struck in these films by the lack of communication and emotional intelligence yeah yeah and the relationships between parents and children i think are so in fact in all of her films i think apart from uh, exhibition that that's a kind of key element and the way that especially in archipelago there's such a kind of very quiet undercurrent of manipulation Mm -hmm. going on the whole time and like you say there are no kind of explosive arguments there's a big argument in um, Unrelated Mm -hmm. towards the end of the film they they happen off screen screen. but in Unrelated but also in Archipelago there's that argument between Cynthia and the mother after Cynthia storms off and she comes back but you just don't see it and also equally there's that argument that takes place over the phone Mm -hmm. with this absent father but you just don't see it and so instead you have in the foreground someone just awkwardly existing (laughs) in this aggressive oral landscape I actually I really love that scene in Unrelated where uh, Oakley is having the argument with his father and all you see is everyone just sat aside listening to the argument with their heads in their hands we've all been there we've all been there you know in fact it reminds me a lot of being a kid and like mm-hmm. when you'd have your friends around and your mum would pick that moment to have an argument with you and your friends would just be sat there like <laughs> oh no <laughs> you know that's the I feel like an awkward child watching their friend's mum shout at them when I watch a Joanne See, Hannah, I have the opposite interpretation to Archipelago as you in the sense that I don't think they come out of the holiday changed. I think who they always were just comes to the surface. Mm. And like you say, these are very unemotionally intelligent people. They are slaves to their underlying feeling. Like the Cynthia character, she's 
furious. <laughs> we hmm. never fully understand why, but she's like on a hair trigger. And she's snipping away. And one of the most awkward scenes is when they go for a nice trip to a restaurant yes. and she's unhappy with her pheasant. <laughs> uh, it is not done to her liking. Not only does she want to send it back, she wants her mum to send it back. But her mum's like, I'm all right. But she's like, no, mum. No, mum. It's okay to send it back. And you have a sense in this of this conversation that's been happening in various situations for years, for decades, mm. with her mum not wanting to make a fuss and this frustrating her. And John Hogg's just so great at creating these moments that hint at previous moments that led up to it. Another scene I lo- I really love in it is quite near the end. So the facade of peace has pretty much <laughs> fallen away. They're all waiting for lunch and they're drinking Bloody Marys in the living area. So it's the two kids, Edward and Cynthia, the mother, and their painter friend, Christopher, who's just a lovely, sweet soul who loves to paint. <laughs> and they're making small talk and then suddenly everyone just sags and they can't do it anymore. And everyone's just alone in their private unhappiness. <laughs> And then it's lunchtime, but it's such a great scene because it just it takes you through that like stilted conversational dynamic and then shows you like no one can sustain it. But then it's lunchtime and they can carry on and it's really something. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. From our descriptions, it might, you might think that Joanna Hogg's quite a, I don't know, um, an introverted filmmaker or, or an unadorned filmmaker, minimalist filmmaker. Maybe she is, but she does mount some of those sequences emotionally like it's some sort of Hitchcock spectacle. There's the scene that you do mention, that dinner scene. The way that it starts, the awkwardness starts when just simply picking a table in an empty restaurant, where to sit and then how to arrange a mixed group of friends around a table. Should we go boy, girl, boy, girl? And already anyone with the, the slightest bit of, of anxiety will start just you know cringing and it just keeps going to fever pitch and the way that it pays off when the chef who apparently is a non-professional actor an amazing little performance here comes out and says no actually the meal is meant to be slightly pink and undercooked (laughs) but that doesn't dissipate the tension it's still there because Cynthia has something repressed about her some sort of deep hurt that we never really figure out Mm. Um, it is so masterful this was the first film of hers I saw at the London Film Festival I think god I don't want to think how long ago that was 10 years ago and it feels like such a bolt from the blue as a film as a filmmaker and this was Tom Hiddleston's pre-Marvel Tom Hiddleston yeah. and it's, it's amazing to look back at his filmography and see just how much of a meteoric rise he had I think he was in Unrelated and Archipelago Midnight in Paris War Horse then very quickly Thor just catapulted him mm. into the, the mainstream he hadn't done much before he'd done work with Joanna Hogg and it's amazing that this is almost the Tom Hiddleston trilogy of hers because <laughs> we do have one film left to talk about and that's coming up next and that is Exhibition When you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring At BlueNile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So now we're up to 2013 with Exhibition starring former Slits songwriter Viv Albertine and I believe her first starring role as an actress. Sophie, how do we talk about Exhibition? This is a little bit different, I feel, from the other two films. Well, for a start, it's not set in a luxurious holiday home. It's set in a luxurious regular home, except it's only regular if you are a wealthy conceptual artist. So I think the germ of this film is, if the first two are a lot about location, this is is like even stepping that up a gear. So they film in the house of the architect James Melvin, which is an extraordinary space. And the reductive logline of the film is, will this couple sell their house? (laughs) She doesn't want to, he's ready to. Um, But it's, of course, about so much more Mm -hmm. than that. It's about their relationship. I interviewed Joanna Hogg after this film and she said it was fascinating to her how many different interpretations. Some people thought the couple were breaking up. Some people thought they were just going for a rough batch. I got the sense that she thinks this is just how adult relationships go and... We talked about how this is sort of the antithesis and the antidote to the Hollywood depiction of relationships where every, everything's just rubbing along smoothly. And she was saying that, no, actually, the closer you get to people, the more abrupt you become because you mm. can get away with it. So it's anyone's guess at what stage in the relationship we're meeting these people. But what's certainly the case is that the niceties have, have gone <laughs> away. The characters are just called D and H, and D is played by Viv Albertine, and she rejects pretty much all her sexual advances, but has a private sexual existence of her own. So that's in the mix as well. And then, but it's it's very much just like seeing them in the house, interacting with the house, making work, and that's the film. <laughs> yeah, we, we've spoken on over the previous two films that are these absent family members who are on the other end of a phone line. It's about that distance, and. Even within this household, they have some sort of intercom system because they have, I guess, their own studio office spaces on separate floors behind closed doors. They have to phone each other throughout the day. It blows my mind that this is how they communicate for most of the film. Mm -hmm. If this is what adult life is like for the middle classes, I'm very glad (laughs) I'm not part of it. Yeah, I mean, the house is almost like a character itself, Uh you know. (laughs) Um, The house I cannot get over. I, I would happily just watch (laughs) it's just a walking tour of the house but i think we we talked about how um in unrelated and in archipelago the films are kind of 
so much about the failure to communicate and the failure to understand kind of each other and other characters. Whereas these two communicate a lot, you know, they're always kind of talking and always calling each other up and saying, should I come down and see you? Do you want, are you, my favourite conversation they have is where D is cold (laughs) and she calls H and she's like, I'm cold. Are you cold? He's like, put a coat on, I guess. And she's saying, no, I've already got a jumper on. It's just these kind of, they seem like such tiny casual sides but they're so like meticulous and they're so real and so true I think to a relationship when you get past that point of the honeymoon period and even past the bit after the honeymoon period you know this is just kind of coexisting and co-inhabiting a space and what's the the threat that the um set possible sale of their house causes to their relationship is like fascinating mm-hmm. and the the house seems like so much of a part of their relationship and how they kind of understand each other and how they interact with each other it is like how would this work in another setting how how do we work in another setting you know like is there another intercom do they have mm-hmm. to install that do they take that with them like what's the what's the situation here like, and they have their own spaces within the space that's a shared space which yeah. I think is ideal, you know. I think the idea of having a space that you share with someone you love, but you have your own space within that, is so important. It's, it's an exploration, isn't it, of being a couple later in life without kids. Mm. Uh, there's a part in Unrelated where the main character is, you know, she's in her 40s, or at least approaching her 40s, and is looking at her friends who all have kids. Even if the kids didn't come along at the right time in their life, they have that investment. They have, they can, they have that love guaranteed from the kids. Mm. Whereas. D and H don't have that. There's a, there's a very funny scene yeah, where they go so for good. go for dinner with with their friends, who's actually played by one of the actresses from Unrelated. V, right? v, v, she returns. She pops up. And is it that D is just so deathly bored by the conversation around their friends' kids that she fakes fainting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to get out of it? And she's clearly done it before because on the way home, H tried to tell you've got to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's true if you don't have that firm blood connection this this the shared collaboration of having children what is keeping these two together dnh maybe the house is the thing the brick and mortar or whatever it is whatever modernist uh, materials were used to create that crazy house are they the only childless couple we see in her film anna that is yeah. part of her character but did you say when you spoke to, to Joanna Hogg, she said that this is almost a continuation of that character's yeah. story? Yeah, exactly. If she's at this point with her with her husband in Unrelated, whether are they going to stay together or break up or what? If they stay together, this is the life they will have. Absolutely, yeah. She did indeed say that mm-hmm. it, she was imagining that but on, future. But by the same token, this is an exploration of living life as an artist. You mentioned that Joanna Hogg very much does that, as well as making films. She curates films. She has this screening uh, collective called Anossa Moore that she runs with Adam Roberts. They, what Their claim to fame is they had a complete career retrospective of... Chantal Ackerman. Chantal Ackerman's work. She's not called Jean Dielman. So, <laughs> sorry, Adam. Please don't hate me for that. And that's what these two do. They're there in their space, even in their 40s and 50s or however old they are, dressing up, exploring their own bodies, exploring the chairs in the room and so on to see how that can be incorporated into their expression. Exactly, yeah. It, I think something that she's very great at that links all her films is presenting without comment without editorialization mm. which means that it is absolutely on you as an audience member to be like that looks cool or 
That looks so weird. I hope I never am in that situation. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely just there for you to make of it what you will, which is why I characterised her as an artist, because I think to have that capacity to just see and create without lashing on your own baggage, that's what artists do. And there are a lot of hacks out there who would just like wrapping up their own insecurity and presenting it as art or like working through their demons or something and greatness can arise from those but Joanna Hogg she's a disciplined filmmaker Mm -hmm. she knows what she brings she knows her angle on it she is in there certainly her background as we've covered but otherwise she's able to just simply present things Mm -hmm. I think this might be Maybe not the first Joanna Hogg film you should watch no. for that reason. It's Actually, the... I've got a funny story. I like I took on a date this former Jehovah's Witness. He'd only recently started being a Jehovah's Witness, and I really didn't know him very well. And he was thoroughly foxed. <laughs> <laughs> Did he come around? Did you have a good chat afterwards and uh, convert him? No, that sadly, I think that was the last time I saw him. Actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to say it was a nail in the coffin, but. Yeah, it's not the first film you should watch as a Joanna Hogg entry point. I think it's a difficult film. Mm. I struggled with this film. I think even having seen her other films by the time I watched this, I think it is inaccessible, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I mean, watching it as a kind of companion piece to The Souvenir, which is, again, like about being an artist and the artistic process, there's a great parallel for me. And there's a scene where Dee is... He's masturbating <laughs> and uh, there's an accident outside the window or there's there's ambulances basically and it the, a similar thing happens in the souvenir where um, Julie comes home to her Knightsbridge apartment and you just see her go to the window and observe something that's happening outside and I guess it's just a really lovely little visual motif that I spotted between the two that I really liked and there are other things as well I think across her films that I found seeing again in the souvenir there's a scene in unrelated where anna goes to a um lingerie shop and is buying black underwear and i would say a significant thing in the souvenir and Mm. i don't know how much of this is intentional on joanna hogg's part but i just yeah for me for me maybe this is the souvenir was the first joanna hogg film that i actually saw and like watching now her back catalogue it does kind of feel like she's drawn on all these like little elements and little motifs and little scenes and seeing them kind of in the souvenir feels like that is the natural progression from all mm-hmm. these films. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just like a personal something that I felt like I noticed. No, all, all those threads are there. But I will say the exhibition feels like it's the closest to an outlier that she has. Mm. You don't have those anchor points as much in key relationships because the cast in this is so small. You really only have two characters. It's just a relationship. It's just a relationship. Yeah. But what is amazing, when I saw this at the London Film Festival back in 2013, I was a little perplexed. I wasn't full-on foxed, as, as your Jehovah's Witness friend, uh, Sophie, but <laughs> it didn't have what I loved in her other films. But re-watching it now, especially with headphones on, I may say, the sound design is so specific in particular in this film. It's a, you know, the sense of place in the films are there, but the sense of place is here as well in the sense of there's always noise outside. Anyone who's lived in a city will will be familiar to that, trying to do some work in the middle of the day when there are <laughs> kids running down the streets or cars or people testing out their mopeds back and forth, which is you know a, a common thing now, now that there are these delivery drivers all night long. It's fantastic how she's so specific about that, as well as 
the allure of looking out the window when you should be working at your desk. I mean, the procrastination <laughs> thing in this is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why they, they keep calling each other. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who um, works freelance <laughs> will understand the pain of trying to get work done and been like, oh, yeah, but like I could just text my friend and or like call my mum and like just delay working a little bit longer. I think there is part of that in their relationship <laughs> with each other is, you know, and the idea I, I think being an artist dating another artist is fascinating as well because you have that like shared understanding of like you know we both understand what this takes and what goes into this but at the same time it's just like exhausting and frustrating because <laughs> you both understand and you both know like kind of the process and how exhausting and draining it is and and I think that the another thing about their house the space that they exist in is that it facilitates this and Moving is such a huge thing for anyone, but like when your whole existence seems related to the space you exist in and your whole art like process seems so connected to that. I think it's such a specific thing, this film. It's mm-hmm. such a it's dealing with such a specific niche thing, mm-hmm. but it's kind of fascinating how she opens that up and how connected their relationship is to this bizarre modernist house. And we haven't even mentioned Tom Hiddleston's very minor role in this film. It's surprising that she just throws in a cameo. Almost like this is a Marvel movie and this is a Tom (laughs) Hiddleston cameo there. It's interesting how she doesn't really, until his second appearance later in the film, show him face on. He's shown from almost an aerial shot because who couldn't recognise Tom Hiddleston's voice, really? (laughs) Very distinctive voice. Apparently, (laughs) even for that tiny part, he studied conveyancing. (laughs) he was like I didn't want to get it wrong (laughs) so disciplined (laughs) so uh, let's wrap up by saying if someone's going to go and see the souvenir or they're curious about following Joanna Hogg backwards which one of these three should we recommend they go and check out I think it's a a body of work that you could watch in an afternoon and be so enriched Mm -hmm. by it but if there was one which should they go for oh so yeah definitely not exhibition but which of the other two I do think that both those Mm -hmm other two are accessible entry points mm-hmm. so i'd say it's a choose your own adventure between those two but hannah do you have a more decisive statement i personally think unrelated just because it feels like a very natural companion piece to the souvenir okay you could view it in many different ways but for seeing womanhood at two very different very specific parts so the kind of beginning of adulthood and then the kind of midlife menopausal oh god what what comes next period of of your life i think um that for me is like yeah they feel like two characters that could almost be the same person at different points in their life one word that we haven't yet used that i think is descriptive word for both julie and anna is vulnerable anna is oh yeah yeah even though she's older and she seems to have more furniture in her life maybe she doesn't actually so you're actually meeting two women who are very vulnerable points in their life Actually, that's a very good word to describe her filmography in general. Mm -hmm. It's a very... These films do feel very delicate and precious, and that's why I'm so defensive when when my esteemed film journalist colleagues dismiss them as being just about posh people's problems. Because, you know, I think we could get into that about any filmmaker who is a sort of archivist of British society and say like oh they only make films for blah 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 they only make films about blah 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 but I think it's such a kind of dismissive thing and 
as I've already said, you know, I think her films are so um, about so much more than class, even though it is a huge part. And I think a really interesting part of her films for me isn't the kind of only thing that's going on here. And hopefully in this special episode, we've teased out a few of those things that she does. Uh, hopefully. I hope that people go away and um, reevaluate if they aren't a fan of Joanna Hogg mm-hmm. or if they are just coming to her based on the souvenir, which I mean, for me, I'm, obviously I'm biased because the souvenir was my first Joanna Hogg film, but I think the souvenir is a great entry point. Mm-hmm. I think if you're kind of not sure if it's for you definitely like go and give it a whirl i think it is even though her other films are great as well i think the souvenir is definitely like really top draw unfortunately we have plenty of little white lies related souvenir content we do it's almost like we made a whole magazine about (laughs) it exactly and we'll be discussing that on a normal truth and movies not normal and as as good as ever uh, truth and movies episode dashed out episode But let's bring this Joanna Hogg special to a close. And yes, one more reminder, as a listener to Truth and Movies, there's the 50% off offer from Curzon Home Cinema. Use the code LWL50 before midnight on the 30th of September on Unrelated Archipelago or Exhibition. Sophie, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me for this special episode. <laughs> let us know what you think. If you do dive in to Joanna Hogg's back catalogue, let us know at the usual channels, at Truth and Movies on Twitter, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email, or at the comments page at lwlies.com slash podcast. I'm Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.